Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you brought each and every one of us here for a reason. I thank you that we get to worship you through song and through reading your word and through prayer. I pray now that all glory would be given to you, that we would have hearts that would be ready to receive what you have for us, and that we wouldn't just receive it, we would put it into action. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So Abby mentioned the rain. Um, This morning was not off to a good start for me because Silas was taking a nap in the car yesterday. Not alone. I was with him in the car yesterday as he took a nap. And I was reclining in the front seat and I rolled down the window. And um, I forgot the window was rolled down. So this morning when I walked out to my car, alas, it was covered in water. But my servant-hearted wife bit the bullet because she knew I had to preach this morning. So she drove on the wet spot while I sat. I'm not ashamed of it. (laughs) Thank you, Alia. So, I'm a new dad, and you're just going to have to deal with the fact that when I preach, I'm going to use baby stories right now. Um, That's kind of my prerogative. And the fact of the matter is, I like to use baby stories because I think we're all a little bit just grown-up babies, at least me and the students I work with. I don't know about the adults. No offense, y'all. I just put myself in your group, just so you know. Um, So... This past Christmas, Silas got a few presents, and he, he opened his first present. Actually, his grandfather made him open this present first because his grandfather gave it to him. And it was a toy steering wheel. And once, he turned it, once we turned it on, he scooted on over to it, and then he happily banged away on it. And he absolutely loved it until he noticed something else. And he saw his mommy and daddy opening their presents, and he saw kind of the paper going up in the air and the boxes being opened, and his favorite thing in the world is cardboard. And he quickly forgot about his shiny new toy and then scooted full speed ahead towards the the paper and the, the, the cardboard. And it looked something like this. Watch the transition. (laughs) That's it. So, like baby Silas, I think some of us receive a gift from God and then we're immediately enthralled with it. We want to see it in action. We want to test its capabilities. And basically, we want to bring it everywhere we go with us. But then we start looking around. We see other people opening their gifts. And we begin to compare. And just like that, we're distracted from utilizing our gifts to their full potential. So Paul gives the Church of Rome some straightforward advice regarding what to do with spiritual gifts. And if you'll turn with me to Romans 12. Verses 3 through 
Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So if I could sum up just the gist of what Paul is trying to say in this passage, use your gifts. Then I could just go on and tell you how to use your gifts here. All the volunteer roles that we have available for you, because there's tons of ways for you to get plugged in here. And I can do a sign-up thing out there. It would be great, like a big fair for everyone to volunteer. But that's not this kind of sermon. And I think as we look at this text, it's not that simple of a text to just simply use your gifts. So we need to dig deeper. So Paul is actually demonstrating right here in verse 3, right when we open up, the correct use of his own spiritual gifts. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say. This is really important because Paul has the spiritual gift of being an apostle, so apostleship. And so he is telling the church right here, right now, that he is speaking as the apostle Paul, and therefore he's immediately given credibility and God's authority to speak truth into their lives. That's really important that we set this up. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts while utilizing his own spiritual gifts. So using his apostolic voice, he starts by issuing a warning. Do not get prideful because of your gifts. We learned last week that each Christian has at least one spiritual gift, but these gifts are an outpouring of God's grace. We don't earn them. They have nothing to do with our own ability, and they might not even stay the same throughout our lifetime. So Paul is saying, church, Don't get intoxicated with how awesome your gifts are, because they really are awesome. Instead, remember the gospel truth. We are saved through faith alone, and we did not earn this. Instead, God has rescued us through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he is still rescuing us and pursuing us, even though we continue to fall short. Therefore, these spiritual gifts given to us are just another example of his unfailing grace. In verses 4 and 5, Paul goes on to use a favorite metaphor of his, one that he uses several times specifically when he's talking about the gifts. The church is like a body. Each part has a unique function, but each part also needs the others in order to carry out its duties. So each member belongs to Christ as the head of the body. There's a a simple diagram for you. We belong to God. 
We're different members of the body, but we're dependent on Christ as the head of the body. But is that what that's what Paul's saying here? Or is there more to it? There's absolutely more. He wants to remind us that we actually belong to one another. There's this interconnectedness. Not only do we belong to Christ, but each and every one of us are connected and belong to one another. So, if we are to belong to one another, we cannot think of ourselves as better than anyone else. Because pride inevitably leads to jealousy. Jealousy leads to comparison. And then I think comparison leads leads to division. And pride causes a whole bunch of other stuff, bad stuff too. So humility must be an essential part of using the gifts. Because all of the gifts need one another. No person has the entirety of the gifts. And if they tell you they do, they're wrong. <laughs> and therefore... No one has the right to be prideful because we're all dependent on God and one another. So this shouldn't be hard to explain with an illustration. The cliche in churches is that pastors are gifted with teaching and leadership. That's a a common thing that pastors are gifted in. But the joke kind of is that a lot of pastors are not gifted with administration. So... The pastor has this upfront position that results in a certain level of fame. I have a lot more Instagram followers now that I'm a pastor. And most pastors must admit something. And this thing should keep them humble. Without someone with the gift of administration in their staff, they honestly probably wouldn't have a church to preach in. That's how dependent we are on each other's gifts. Our spiritual gifts are interconnected, causing us to need each other. It's a beautiful system put in place by our Creator. But it's a system that involves using broken human beings. So it's fickle and fragile. And that is why Paul has to remind the church, if you have a gift, then use it. And use it correctly. And I think this this advice that Paul is giving, not even advice, it's more of a command that he's giving to the church, uh, is echoing something that Jesus teaches in one of his parables. So I'd, I'd love to turn there together. It's in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. As you're turning there, I will tell you that this parable has nothing to do really with talents in the way that we think of talents. It's specifically talking about money. But I want to approach it from the aspect of God giving out resources, because that's what money is. And I think gifts are resources as well that God gives us. So Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you had you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. God distributes gifts and resources to his people, and he expects them to use them. He wants them to use them for his glory and the building of his kingdom. Now, this parable teaches us, and Paul teaches us, he does not give us all the same quantities or qualities of gifts. But his expectations remain the same for us all. We must step out in faith with what he has given us. Being wasteful stewards of his gifts is a serious offense and is not to be taken lightly. So the Apostle Paul exhorts the church in Rome to invest their gifts and trust that God will will reward their diligence with a bountiful harvest of converted hearts and unity. So, let's finish out the passage that we've been dealing with this morning, Romans 12. Verses 6 through 8 have some other gifts. Last week we had a different gift list that we worked with in 1 Corinthians 12. So I want to go through these gifts really quickly. There's the gift of prophecy. This is the ability to discern and communicate God's truth so as to encourage or convict. There's service. This is active, willing, and voluntary serving. Also, these are the people who collect, manage, and distribute resources for those in need. In fact, this is where we get the deaconate in the church. Teaching. Now, there are lots of teachers in our congregation, and they are absolutely gifted teachers. But this specifically is talking about the supernatural ability to teach God's Word effectively. Exhortation. Now, oftentimes, some, some, scripture, some translations will uh, put this as encouragement. So a lot of people will say they have the gift of encouragement. I think it's important that this word has more meaning than that. It's not just encouragement. It's not just exhortation or comfort. It's actually to encourage someone to live in God's will. So it's not just a pat on the back and saying you're great. That's important. But this gift of encouragement is actually to encourage someone to walk in line with what God has for their lives. Giving. This is spontaneous and private benevolence. You just have a giving heart and you want to do it. Leadership. Using the office of leader in the church is more about serving people. So you you have the gift of leading so that you might serve. Rather than the way often the world looks at it is those who have the gift of leading or who are in positions of power, they are served. It's not the same way in the church. And then finally, mercy. This is ministering to the sick and needy. These are the people that just have an extra dose of compassion 
for those people who are in need. So which one are you? Maybe you're a different one from one of the other gift lists. If you do not know what your gift or your gifts are, then hopefully the rest of the sermon will give you tools to help you figure it out. So earlier this week, I asked a pastor mentor of mine which spiritual gift test he prefers to give his congregation. And this was his reply. I usually stick to personality type testing. I find the spiritual test gift test too limiting and people use them as an excuse to not serve. And then he put in quotes, sorry, but doing the dishes is not my gift. Guys, do not try that at home. It doesn't work. The pastor goes on to give some more advice and hopefully I'll share a little bit of that throughout the rest of the sermon. But let's deal first with this idea of doing the dishes. Or better yet, let's deal with a more straightforward spiritual gift. There's another gift list in Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4.11 talks about this gift of evangelism. Some of us are specifically called to be God-gifted evangelists. However, some churches expect every one of us to be the wild-eyed evangelist to memorize gospel presentations, to knock on people's doors, and to share the gospel with intelligence and creativity with everyone we meet. But one of the greatest comforts in the body metaphor that Paul uses is that we are not called as individuals to be all these things at once, but each of us are but a part of the body of Christ. Some of us are specifically called as gifted evangelists. These people have the ability to clearly uh, communicate the gospel with conviction and courage. They make bold proclamations. But the fact of the matter, that's not the majority of us. You're off the hook, right? You don't have to talk to your, your neighbor about witnessing. No. This is a sermon. So we've got to give you some truth. Some truth that might be a little bit uncomfortable for some people. While there are specific people gifted to be evangelists, all of us are called to be evangelistic believers. That's why we're evangelical. We all must be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have. We all must be willing and able to share the gospel when the time arises. So now that I've made that clear, right? Everyone's with me? Good? Nodding? Some people just blank stares. That's good. I just said it. I made it clear, so we're good. We're going on. I will, I'm going to recommend these personality tests to you. Your businesses might be using them. Some of you have probably already done a handful of these things. So these are the Strength Finder, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, and the Color Code. Now, remember, there is a distinct difference between spiritual gifts and natural gifts. These tests, I think, the benefit of them is really to see how God has wired us. And to see how he's wired us, not only for us, to, the way we perceive the world, but how we interact with others. As for spiritual gift tests, I recommend these two. And this went out in the e-blast as well. The first is a simple online test where you give your email and answer a questionnaire. It takes about five to ten minutes. And immediately they send you an email with the results of the description and descriptions of the spiritual gifts that you might have. The other test is a little bit more involved. It's called the SHAPE assessment. And SHAPE stands for spiritual gifts, hearts, abilities, personality, and experiences. 
this will take you a little bit more time to set aside a Saturday afternoon and work through this. But the good thing about this shape and that assessment is it tries to combine the spiritual gifts with our personality and kind of our life experiences as well. And these, these types of tests are designed to give you just a ballpark idea or an educated guess. And honestly, they're all insufficient. Everyone should know that when they take a personality test that that's not how it all works. We're not all put into a box. To truly discover your giftedness, it's going to take time. And here's something that I often use in my own life in order to, to figure out God's will. And I think we can use it to figure out what our gifts are as well. Um, and it's called the five CSs. Some of you might have heard this before if you've ever uh, encountered Alpha. So these are the five CSs. The first CS, this is, let's think about how we can apply this specifically to discovering our own personal spiritual gifts. Not our own, God's own that he gives us. First and most importantly, com- commanding scripture or contained in scripture. Your spiritual gift will be in scripture. To say that in the negative, you will never ever have a spiritual gift that's not found in the Bible. The reason I say that is there is what I think a dangerous current of uh, churches that are saying God's doing new things. Once you start saying that, it's a slippery slope. So I just want to be important. It's important for me to tell you all that your spiritual gift will be contained in Scripture. Second, a compelling spirit. So for those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, then we believe the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And in Acts 20.22, the Apostle Paul is quoted as saying, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. In the same way, the Spirit might compel you to go and speak to a stranger about Jesus Christ. The Spirit might compel you to come volunteer with me with student ministries. Or with Julie in children's ministries. Again, though, the Spirit will never contradict the Bible. And the, west, the best way to be able to know what the Holy Spirit wants or is giving you is to be in constant conversation with Him. Third, discovering your gifts is going to take a certain level of common sense. If you are constantly wanting to care for the sick and poor, so much so that you are going out of your way to do so, then you probably have the gift of mercy. Some of it is just common sense once you start thinking through how you, how you view the world. Fourth, counsel of the saints. Saints are simply Christians. In order to know your gifts, you must be in authentic Christian community. So this past staff meeting, we went around the room, and each one of us told everyone else what we thought our spiritual gifts were. But then, we also went around the room and told each other what we thought our spiritual gifts were. So, we must rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ to confirm the gift that we are sensing in our own lives. Or, if you're in Christian community someone else might actually reveal to you or tell you what your spiritual gift is, one that you didn't even recognize that you had, one that you never considered. And then finally, the final CS is circumstantial signs. And I want to be really clear about this. 
This is the least important and least telling of all the CSs. Circumstantial signs can be used by God to confirm something that we are feeling. However, as we probably all know, our feelings might be so strong that we convince ourselves that something's a circumstantial sign when it's not. All of the other things must be in line before signs convince you of something. And the most important takeaway, I think, for me for this CS is that God is sovereign and he's able to order all events. This is also known as God's providence. So I don't want to completely dismiss that. Sometimes he uses these things. But I always hesitate to just give step-by-step methodology when I'm preaching. But I admit that these tools really can be helpful. I think they can edify the church. But we have to remember that they're, they're just tools. My best advice to you all is that you get involved in the church. Or at least a healthy church. Another one like us. As you learn more about what makes us tick, then you'll be able to figure out where our needs are. Then you get to try things out. You get to consider the things that you're passionate about. And then you ask people what they think your gifts are. And then you encourage people what you think their gifts are. And remember always that God wants to work through you in some special way. And this is how I'll end this morning. Because this is what Paul does. After talking about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Romans 12, this is his advice. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can even move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then in Romans 12, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Remember, church, love is the foundation. So let us love God and one another through sharing our gifts. Will you pray for us, Pastor?